Hey guys, welcome to 5 Lights F1. I'm Prashast Pitti and here we discuss all things Formula 1. The grid is set, green flags, lights out, let's go. So this week F1 was at the Silverstone circuit and it's one of the most awaited races of the year, uh, Sukriti. Yeah, we had Carlos Sainz on pole, um, his first one in F1, and his former uh, Toro Rosso teammate, the current world champion, Max Verstappen, was lining up on the grid beside him. Uh, both their teammates, uh, Leclerc and Sergio Perez, were on the second row. Uh, a costly mistake in qualifying from Leclerc cost him the pole and relegated him to the second row. And, well, it cost Max pole too, because he had been the fastest this entire weekend. Um, so this race promised a lot of drama, but um, less than 20 seconds after the five lights went out, the race was red flagged, and we saw one of the most horrific accidents we've seen in F1. Yeah, it was like, uh, you know, Gasly went for a gap that was fast disappearing, but before that, we should actually speak of what perhaps could have been a root cause of this accident, right? Which was the fact that teams now get free tyre choice to start the race with. So I think it was the first time in a long time you saw it, like uh, teams up and compounds. down the field using all three compounds. So yeah, in the top 10, you had like George Russell starting on the hards, uh, which were the hardest, I think, in the Pirelli range. So it was expected that he would move backwards to begin with, at least his logic be, being that he would like have a longer stint. So that happened. He had an absolutely poor start, whereas Gasly behind him, who started, I think, on uh, uh, softer tires, had a much better start, right? And where Gasly tried to go for a, the gap between Russell and Zoe, and he ended up tapping Russell, who completely lost control and went into the side of Zoe, and it was the cause of an accident that was really quite horrific. I mean, Zoe flipped uh, uh, upside down and like, you know, went straight over the tire barriers and got stuck between the tire barriers and, you know, the catch fence. So yeah, there was, there was really uh, quite a nasty incident, like you said. And there was no word on him for some time. So yeah. it, it, it was a really tense um, situation. Yeah. Uh, the fact that we didn't get an update on whether he was okay or not till they actually extracted him out of the car and got him I into the ambulance. That took a little bit of time, right? Him get, extracting the car, first of all, between such a small gap with the driver inside to make sure he is okay and, you know, he doesn't get uh, further injured if he wasn't to begin with. Um, so, yeah, that took a while and like you said, it it just made things worse for us as viewers and for everyone else because they weren't even showing like the, the crash site, right, very rightly so, uh, because there was no word on the driver. And it's, it's I think, really amazing that a crash that horrific um, and uh, he's walked away yeah. without any issues. Yeah, I mean, he was cleared uh, from the medical center at the paddock itself. And mm -hmm. he was back in the paddock, like before the race even got completed. So, I mean, hats off to uh, the, the safety, yeah, the halo and the sa other safety measures that uh, have come into place in F1. I mean, I think purely the halo saved uh, Joe's life. life. It's as simple as that, right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there was another incident as well. Uh, at the same time, you know, with the everything happening to between Russell, uh, Joe and Albon, 
uh, there were a lot of cars behind them who like you know were making like sudden braking maneuvers and grid. you know half the grid was yeah. like trying to avoid the melee and in between all that like Vettel uh, ended up like tapping Albon who was in front of him who slowed down immediately and Vettel couldn't slow down in time right and that actually caused another incident where you know Albon uh, and in his Williams first ricocheted right hit the wall and then ricocheted left and then banged into both Ocon and Tsunoda and you know that was kind of Albon's race out as well so that was also another incident that took place and you know in the chaos of the start we all thought that was one incident that had taken uh, out so many drivers but actually it was two separate incidents so what do you think of that like that was also scary to like see See, you know Albon like his head like banging side to side and especially because they said they took him to the hospital for precautionary checks and so on and so forth and it's great that he's also absolutely fine fine. and been been medically cleared but yeah it it was it was a scary um start to the race 20 seconds in and you had like five cars involved in this so another driver involved uh hugely in this incident uh was uh, mercedes driver george russell his home race too and and sadly it finished on lap one itself right i mean he uh got hit naturally by gasly and uh had a puncture on his uh rear left but what was amazing to watch was him actually stopping uh on the side of the road in the gravel trap and not continuing and turning off his car and getting out because he saw what happened to joe and like he actually ran to see if he could help him out and uh you know of course he helped call the marshals in and things like that but apparently when he came back to the car he tried to get it started again he got in touch with the team because he wasn't able to start his car again to get it going because in his words there wasn't that much damage it was just a puncture right and he should have been able to continue in an ideal scenario the way Ocon and Sonoda did Yeah, yeah right Unfortunately, what ended up happening was he wasn't allowed to uh, race again because his car was flatbedded back to the pits. And the rules kind of say that um, he wasn't allowed to race again because he had outside assistance. What do you think? Should he have been allowed to race? So I think that one thing to note is that the race was already red flag, which is why he got out of the car. Um, which is an important thing to know that he knew that it was safe to get out because the race had already been red yeah. flagged, right? And he did specifically mention to a marshal that don't move my car. I'm trying to start it again. So I suppose my question is, why did they? When they had been told, don't move my car, I'm trying to start it again. And he was trying to figure that out with the team. Um, it's really unfortunate that they did flatbed it. But I think the rules are the rules. And if you've not gotten back to the pits by yourself, um, then you shouldn't be allowed to race. Correct. Yeah. Despite the unique circumstances of this situation. And and I think I think it's great that him and Mercedes still tried to like have that conversation with the FI and try and see if there was a possibility to yeah. sort of make an exception here. But I think the rule is is clear. You you have outside assistance, you cannot continue. Yeah, I, I suppose the uh one thing that I can think of is towards the marshal's defense was at the end of the day, their job is to clear up the track as soon as possible, right? So perhaps their hurry in trying to do that yeah. caused them to actually, you know, 
touches car and move it and fly and it's back also an incredibly high pressure situation yeah. you know a, you may have communicated it to one marshal but there may be somebody else that came there and correct took a decision for themselves correct. and they have the right to do that that is like you said their job yeah. so uh, no, unfortunate but yeah I, i mean i would have to agree with you on that like the rules are the rules and and as much as he was trying to be the good samaritan and he was i mean it was unbelievably uh, uh generous of him to do what he did um but yeah unfortunate for him is his race kind of ended there ended there yeah so um let's talk about ferrari uh going into this race there was so much talk online on if you know ferrari would let signs win or if even signs could even win a race uh, this year you know given that leclerc is their championship contender but skipping to the end carlos signs did actually get his first win in f1 you know after 150 race starts but the race in my personal opinion was a complete mess from ferrari's end should we just jump into it into everything that ferrari got wrong yeah i think um, we have to right um, i i think this is um, this race is a masterclass in um, ferrari strategy making and yeah. uh, we we can't uh, not talk about it um so signs lining up in p1 and yeah. charles in p3 and um very very quickly um on lap 11 itself uh max is closing in on uh, on signs and he makes this crucial mistake um goes off the track loses it loses the place to verstappen and is running in p2 with his teammate catching him really closely and at this point um you have a classic conundrum that faces the team because charles believes he's faster and wants to be let ahead what do they do yeah well they clearly uh, didn't decide for a little while it took them a long time to figure out what they were going to do they ended up pitting signs Yeah. as their solution because uh honestly leclerc was in sainz's drs for a whole bunch of laps and putting that pressure on sainz and sainz didn't seem to have the pace to um go quicker he said post race that um in the initial stint he struggled with a lot of understeer which actually uh, caused his front tires to degrade much more than they anticipated so which is why he couldn't uh, uh, perhaps match his teammate's pace yeah. but Do you think they, you know, they should have uh, swapped swapped earlier or given so, the chance to like uh, to Leclerc to like go after like Verstappen at that point itself? Yeah. So here's the thing that Science makes his mistake on lap 11, and they Ferrari sort of take the easy way out by just pitting him on lap 20, yeah. thinking that that's going to solve the problem. Correct. Ah, uh, so that's nine laps that Charles has been behind Science. Crucial time. that he's lost out on yeah. for sure yeah but here's my counter to that if you wanted to be ahead you shouldn't have made a mistake in qualifying mm. you would have been ahead there's there's no denying that yeah. and it is charles's mistake on the final q3 lap that put signs on pole that put his teammate ahead of him correct and uh, another interesting thing to notice signs also said that the slipstream gave you half a second a lap it was really powerful yeah. on this track so yeah i'm not surprised that charles had a lot of pace which did seem to 
lesson a little bit once he was actually ahead and yeah. science had pitted. Yeah. So, um, of course, he felt like he was much faster, but that's because he was in Carlos's slipstream. Yeah. Um, should Ferrari have taken a decision then and there saying, okay, this is the driver we're going to support this race? Yeah, but it's Ferrari. So they didn't. They just postponed the decision to a more stressful time uh, in the race where well, whatever make decision, more mistakes. <laughs> well, I think whatever decision they would have taken wouldn't have been as optimal. Yeah. Um, I think it also, you know, Ferrari got so lucky because uh, Max picked up debris. Yeah. And that's how Sainz and Leclerc both got past Max. Correct. And so the race was back in their hands. Yeah. Um, otherwise, essentially, I think Sainz and Leclerc would have been fighting for a P2 and a P3. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, so they, they chose to pit uh, pit signs early on lap 20. That left Leclerc in the lead of the race. Verstappen was languishing somewhere in P5, P6 after his uh, pit stop for damage. And um, now they had a problem in the name of Lewis Hamilton. Who was catching really quickly, right? And who was catching Leclerc really quickly, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Because signs after his pit stop came out in P3. Yeah. Correct. And and signs honestly were struggling uh, soon after this pit stop on the hard Even tires. after the hard tires, yeah. yeah. He was really struggling to switch them on in that sense. Uh, and it, it took him like, I think, five laps to actually start matching Leclerc and Hamilton's pace on those hard tires. And unfortunately for him, in those five laps, Ferrari pitted Charles. Yeah. And he they it was back to square one because Charles pitted and came out like 1.2 seconds behind signs. Yeah. And you had Hamilton taking the lead of the race. Yeah. A Mercedes for the first time this year? No, George has, no, George George has, has led, 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 led a couple year. of laps. But Hamilton was leading a couple of laps yeah. this year for the first time. And um, yeah, you were back to where you were 15 laps, 10 laps ago. Yeah. And they had to, again, once again, take that decision on whether to like in, enforce team orders, like swap the cars around. Um, and they did that. They had a couple of back and forths. We, we heard that with Charles on yeah. the radio where he, you know, they actually did give him a, a message saying free to fight. But at the same time, um, they were giving target lap times to Carlos yeah. and um, telling him that, look, if you don't hit this target lap time, then we will swap the cars. Yeah. And that just made me question, okay, if you're saying one thing to one driver and another thing to another driver, are we going to get Baku 2016 with the Red Bulls? <laughs> um, but um, that didn't happen. Yeah. And they finally on lap 31 swapped the cars around. Charles mm -hmm. was free to sort of go ahead and chase after Hamilton and get the race win and consolidate his position in the championship. Yeah. And um, Sainz was in P3. Yeah. Um, and um, I think you would have to say that Ferrari does realize that um, Charles is their main championship contender and their, their main race leader because just a couple of uh, laps later, Hamilton actually pit. So the swap happened on lap 31 and then Hamilton pitted on lap 34. Um, again, this uh, the luck that Ferrari's had because good and bad both. But Hamilton had a slow stop yeah. of 4.3 seconds. And so he came out a couple of seconds behind signs. Otherwise, he would have come out right between them. Yeah, had he had um, a normal stop, he was within the pit window of coming out between uh, both the cars. And, yeah. Signs, yeah. and at this point, signs asked for DRS to safeguard his position from Hamilton yeah. and sort of get a Ferrari 1 2. Yeah. yeah, nothing came of that. So 
Yeah. Just because of that, I would have to assume that Ferrari do realize that Charles is their main cap, like candidate mm-hmm. for the championship, and they did want him to win the race because nothing came of Science's request of DRS, nothing. But then, in completely spectacular strategy, decision making fashion, they dropped the ball. They did, but before coming to that, like I just want to mention this, right? Like, since they're so very clear on Charles being their number one driver after lap twenty, how can you say after a certain point, right? I mean, either he is or, laps to figure that out. <laughs> either he is or he isn't. <laughs> you know, make decisions from the start of the race with a clear mindset. I understand the situation; in the race changes, right? But it's Formula One timing is nothing. Yeah. Um, at least according, according to Ferrari. Ferrari timing is so, yeah. Um, <laughs> but but yeah. yeah, so yeah, so you had Charles running in P1 comfortably, Carlos in P2 struggling, Hamilton was catching him, going to pass him. And the kicker on lap 37, they come out and tell Carlos that he has to like lift and coast because fuel saving is suddenly a necessity. Again, like it's just something that I did not understand was how can Ferrari, uh, being the time kind of team that they are, how can they under fuel a car? Only one car. Only one car, that too, right? So I think this was more uh, strategy to be like for science to play rear gunner to Charles. And this was their way of kind of implementing that? that. But of course, that kind of blew up in their faces subsequently, uh, subsequently with uh, you know Ocon having his issues and stopping on track and the subsequent safety car. Yeah, uh, Ferrari was banking on a safety car coming out for science and it, it, it did. sort of did. Yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately for, for them. them. Yeah. <laughs> um, it did. Lap 39, Ocon had issues, uh, stopped, pulled to the side of the track. Yeah. You had uh, uh, yellow flags, you had a safety car come out immediately. And what's the first thing you do when there's a safety car? You pit for fresh tires because <laughs> for a it's, cheap pit stop. It's uh, almost like a, a, a third of the t- amount of time taken. And so it's like a free pit stop. Ferrari had all of how long again? 11 seconds, I think, yeah. to make the decisions for Leclerc. The and they, race leader. The race the leader, championship the championship leader. contender. Yeah. And they decided, no, that's not enough time for us to make a decision to pull in for softer tires. So let him carry on. Let him carry on. But we'll pit signs. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I for sure at this point thought Ferrari was going to attempt a double stack. I thought yeah. they were going to call both cars in. And I could only think of Monaco and what they did when they called uh, two cars in and Sainz was the lead car and Charles had to wait for a couple of seconds in the pit stop yeah. while they fitted Carlos's tires. Yeah. And I thought they were going to do the same thing again. Yeah. And it would be Carlos waiting. Yeah. And that would mean Hamilton would um, jump him. Jump him. Right. Um, yeah, they didn't do that. Yeah, that would have, to me, actually, that might have made a little more sense had, had, had they done that and had the double star actually worked. You know, I understand that uh, uh, Carlos would probably have lost a place to Hamilton. Yeah. But that and then was, Charles would have lost a place to Hamilton as well. Obviously. Yeah, but then that would have me- meant that both Ferrari drivers were in the top three to finish. Yeah. And that would also mean that... In the right order. In in whatever <laughs> order. But that would also mean that they were all in the same tyres to fight yeah. for the last 12 laps of yeah. the race, right? But they didn't. They just didn't call yeah. Charles in. And uh, pretty much everybody behind Charles. Picked for fresh tyres. Yeah. yeah. 
So um, that meant that when racing got underway at lap 42, you had like a really tense Ferrari pit wall. Yeah. And um, we got this absolute gem of um, a message on the radio where after sort of screwing up his entire race, they asked signs if he could keep 10 car lengths between him and Charles to give Charles some breathing space so that he would be safe from um, Hamilton in P3 and Perez in P4 and Alonso in P5 because let's never count Alonso out. And Norris in P6. It's a safety car restart. They're all like, yeah, Yeah. nose to tail pretty much. Um, And um, Science came out and said, no. I, I I really like that. The fact that he came out and said, no, this is my race. I'm going to do this. Uh, I'm also sorry to say, but I think that just shows science character and maturity as well. We've seen this in the past where he has had the foresight to like think about the entire race, right? Yeah. And say that, no, look, this is going to happen and this is going to happen. Therefore, our strategy should be this. So I think this was just one more of those incidents uh, where science dictated the strategy saying, are you crazy? Like, I have the fastest man on track behind me in the form of Lewis, Lewis Hamilton. Hamilton. And not to mention, I'm on much fresher tires. And not to mention, I'm fighting for my first, first win. And I'm going to be so much faster than Charles. So, And g- giving giving Charles that 10 garlands of um, breathing space yeah. also meant that uh, Carlos would step out of his slipstream. Correct. And then would be vulnerable two laps later exactly. once DRS got switched exactly. on. So, I mean, overall, I think it was just a strategy. Uh, it was a masterclass on how not to uh, uh, run, a race. run a race by Ferrari. And uh, it, it, as it has in the past, it was science dictating strategy for Ferrari, which in, ended up helping him yeah. rather than the team. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I think that was just like a... Racing got underway and in like a couple of corners, science was ahead. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he did go on to win that race. And unfortunately for Charles, he lost out on all podium places Spots. and finished people. before. Um, so, okay. yeah, I, I don't even know what Ferrari is. Uh, Ferrari is just doing a Ferrari, I think. <laughs> But here's also my thing, right? Like um, speaking about how a lot of people asked if Ferrari would let Sainz win this year or if Sainz, you know, um, should, can actually get a race win. Um, I think if you look at teams like um, Mercedes and uh, Red Bull in the past, where you've clearly had a number one driver and a number two driver, that's Max and whoever and Hamilton and Bottas. I don't see Charles and Sainz fitting into the mold of a Max and the Red Bull number two driver and Hamilton and Bottas purely for the reason that I don't think Charles is as flawless as Max or as dominant in form as Max is and has been for a couple of years. And I don't think Sainz is as bad as Bottas. Yeah. So there were two good drivers. Not one, one better than the other, sure, yeah. but not by that much yeah and they've that's the problem a, they've not got a situation where one is exceptional and one is great you know they just one is very good and one is good yeah. <laughs> and i think that's the best way yeah. to like explain it so 
I completely get that, and I, and I think that's a conundrum that they're going to have to figure out what to do with because especially since they've renewed Carlos's contract for another two years. Yeah, and uh, you know uh, we've seen uh, in the past how uh, teams letting their drivers fight has not always resulted in the uh, best. best results for the team themselves. Here's where I disagree, though. Right? Um, I've I've seen like a lot of talk online about how um. this race and the strategy that ferrari has employed is going to be the reason why red bull and max walk away with both championships because ferrari refused to um uh accept that charles is their number one driver and do everything they can to get charles to uh win every single race however however much that means compromising signs mm-hmm. as races because red bull came out and said yes perez is very much sure. we're going to let them fight for the championship and then we also how team orders yeah. came into play yeah um i here's my biggest problem when you see um when you hear team orders being given to uh, perez um everyone's angry saying this is not fair let them race yeah uh perez got pole he was leading so many laps of the race how could you you know like this is why we hate red bull it's such yeah. a horrible team you know they just letting max go by and for all of the years that bottas was in mercedes and paved the way for hamilton at every opportunity that's all people talked about saying this is terrible and then you have ferrari that won't do that in this one race for half of the race because the other half of the race they did and everyone's complaining saying how can you not do that and i'm just like guys what do you want do you want team orders or do you not want team orders or do you want team orders in the team that you support and no team orders in the team you don't support i think it's the third thing but i think also unfortunately for ferrari they have set historical precedent of like supporting one driver no matter what with you know what with schumacher and barrichello and maybe to a certain extent with uh, uh, alonso and raikkonen as well but Yeah, I, I think the best thing they could have done is what they did in terms of letting the drivers race up to a point in the race, uh, and then like supporting your number one driver in quotation marks. But was it really a, the best outcome? No, I don't think so. I think they could have executed it perhaps a little differently. But yeah, I get your point of view in terms of saying that you know either. let teams let the teammates fight or like support your team like don't do this yeah like, i i actually i'm all for saying let the teammates fight uh, it's a race and yes that might mean that they both crash into each other and you get zero points and you lose the constructors title but just like fyi ferrari you're not winning it right now in ted's words it's a motor race <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i i just yeah i i just feel like everyone that's been like bitching and moaning about team orders these last couple of years really needs to stop clamoring for them at ferrari right yeah, now yeah um but um if ferrari got everything wrong there was a team that got almost everything right and that was mercedes with hamilton and carlos actually asked him in the cool down room if mercedes are back yeah um because they had a uh, pretty good pace yeah. this weekend and um yeah what what do you think do you think like uh, we can still see like a three way fight for the constructors i think 
given a couple of races and given uh, the uh, meteoric pace at which Mercedes is developing, I think definitely we will have uh, three teams fighting it out at, in the front. Whether that means that Red Bull will dominate and like take the title, but you'll have a solid fight for two and three, or we'll have a three-way title fight is yet to be seen in my opinion. Um, but yeah, Mercedes did show a lot of uh, promise, you know, in that dry running. And of course, in the race as well, they had really, really strong uh, race pace with Hamilton consistently putting in fastest lap times. And I think even at the end of the race, he was the one who got the fastest lap, right? And that extra point. Uh, but he clearly came out and said that, yes, we have taken a step in terms of pace. Their straight line performance is probably at par with Ferrari's straight line performance, but they're still a step away from Red, Red Bull's straight line performance. Yeah. Right? And I think this was the first time uh, we saw a Mercedes in this season, correct me if I'm wrong, not porpoising in the corners. And it was the first time we saw them take the corners comfortably. Yeah. And I just hope that this means that they're now going to be developing the car to extract performance rather than Come help, back. Yeah, yeah. help solve porpoising, right? So, so in that sense, it's exciting. And I really wish we have a three-way title fight. But yeah. I um think that we will have a fight for P2 in the constructors. Yeah. But I I'm I don't I think the time is passed for um a three-way title fight. Mercedes are like 120 points behind Red Bull mm. in the constructors championship, but only 60 points behind Mercedes, uh behind Ferrari. Right. So um yeah, but let's see. But but like you said, uh Hamilton was actually um on lap 39 before the safety car came out. Yeah, he was um within one lap striking distance. Uh, to Charles to take the lead of the race. Yeah. Um, but yeah, safety car came out and that sort of changed the entire nature of the game. The game, yeah. Um, and I think also he had two slow stops in this race. Yeah. His first stop was 4.1 seconds versus if you look at what Carlos and Charles had, that was 2.5 and 2.8. Yeah. And then his second pit stop uh, with the safety car out was still... Uh, 2.7 seconds versus uh, 3.1 seconds versus science is 2.7 and it's those like fine details that yeah. make the difference yeah perhaps uh this is a slightly rusty pit crew where the you know uh, mercedes is not like at the forefront of every single race so them having to like and running comfortably yeah. five and six in yeah. their own little bubble yeah so i think oh. perhaps that's that rustiness but yeah um Let's talk about the team that's leading the championship and with, with Red Bull and the driver who's leading the championship with Max Verstappen. Unfortunately for him, he's had a kind of weekend that he'd probably like to forget. You know, he was definitely fastest in Q1 and Q2 of qualifying, you know, comfortably coming out and, you know, pulling, putting a lap that's three tenths quicker than everybody else. But unfortunately, he got stuck with a yellow flag in Q3, so couldn't... Uh, make it on pole and yeah sometimes uh, you know the luck didn't really go his way in the race it really didn't this race um, he had a fabulous start the race was red flagged yeah uh, and uh, just as he took the lead um, on lap 11 uh, after science's mistake 
um, he encountered debris from an alpha tori. Um, so um, yeah, that that meant he went into the pits and they changed his tires. He fell back into P6, still didn't have performance. And they they post race they've come out and said that it was a piece of the alpha tori uh, that was stuck to the floor, which compromised their uh, aerodynamics significantly enough for him to lose the rear uh, yeah the, the you know the rear uh, terribly so yeah he, he came out at various points and said like it's like driving on ice you know that's how badly it was so yeah, yeah unfortunately for him like you know it was just like poor luck and yeah. he, he couldn't really do much i mean he still managed to get his car into the points yeah and finish in the points but that's not really saying much and um i think also you know um he uh, with qualifying being a wet session everyone had like uh, 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 an extra set of the soft tires yeah. and um, it was a pretty bold choice to get onto the soft tires for um, uh, for a race in Silverstone one, like the longest circuit on the calendar second longest, second longest circuit on second the calendar um, but I think that just goes to show his um, like confidence in himself in the car and his ability to sort of you know, he was so clear that I, I want to get ahead at the start yeah. and that I will be able to comfortably carve out enough of a yeah. gap to be able to pit yeah. early because yeah. he had to have known that others would probably be starting on mediums and hards. Right. And, and, and not everyone to go longer the than him. Yeah. Right? yeah. So it's just, it's really unfortunate that, you know, the race was red flagged and then he, he put on a set of mediums, same yeah. as, same as Science and, and Perez and uh, Charles. Yeah. But, um, I think that was that was such a bold choice. It was definitely was, and uh, it was a quite a surprising choice for a lot of the teams, right? Yeah, and as a result of that, you saw a whole bunch of people put on soft tires for the second, second start. Least. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. It, yeah. yeah. But speaking of Red Bull, like his teammate had a decent recovery. You know, he had a first lap incident with uh, uh, Charles. I think losing his front wing end plate and that compromised his performance so he had to like pit really early uh, on lap six on lap six and he had like 11.2 second pit stop because they had to change the front wing and stuff but I mean at the end of the day he got lucky with the safety, <laughs> with the safety car because he essentially got a free stop when he was like in P4 after everybody else stopped for tires he didn't uh, because he had to stop earlier so he got a free stop and ended up like in P4 itself with the race uh, safety car restart. So that was a good recovery. He finished P2 uh, overtaking uh, Leclerc and Hamilton uh, at the end. But speaking of um, Perez's incident with uh, Charles uh, at the restart and the damage, um, let's actually talk about the FI. They um, made a decision after the red flag that um, the race would actually resume um, with the original grid order, the qualifying order, which uh, raised a lot of eyebrows because there had been quite a bit of movement in the field. Max had gotten ahead of science. Hamilton had had a brilliant start, jumped to P3. Um, and because of these five cars involved in the two incidents, a bunch of the drivers had actually changed positions. Um, and everyone was a little confused and sort of asked, okay, why, what's going on? And I thought the FIA had it like absolutely right. I mean, they knew the rule, the rule being that, um, you know, the cars hadn't completed a sector before the red flag was called. So there was no classification for them to go by other than the uh, actual 
start qualifying qual- grade. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was the kind of decision making you sort of need in F1, right? So clear, uh, so quick. And um, it was impressive. But then later on in the race, there was a lot of uh, noting and no investigating. Yeah. Um, and we saw a bunch of incidents. Yeah. Uh, so what did you think of these incidents? Well, I mean, like you said, there were a bunch of these incidents that were noted right from the start of the race, right? Uh, in On lap three itself, you had uh, Leclerc attempting an overtake on Verstappen. You had Leclerc attempting an overtake on Perez, which were perhaps questionable, considering that he lost his front wing end plate. Perez lost his front wing end plate. You know, he made that dive into turn four, if I'm not mistaken, which was a little questionable at that time. You can call it a bold choice. That's what I would do. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it was a lunge, right? And it was the other teams and the other drivers' awareness that probably uh, avoided something else. From yeah, uh, uh, prevented a larger incident. But that was still like an opening lap incident. So yeah. I get them not investigating or issuing penalties for that because it was an opening lap racing incident. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But what happened later, I mean, on lap 11 between Sunoda and Gasly, two teammates, Sunoda like diving again into like a corner and taking his teammate out. Of course, they did give Sunoda a five-second penalty. But then later on, they came and said that there's no investigation necessary for a teammate pushing the other uh, off the track. And that was something that was just like confusing and baffling to everyone. I don't know. Was there a separate incident? That happened. That we didn't get to see. That we didn't get to see or watch. That that was very, very confusing. And then, you know, the the brilliant battle that took place lap 46 onwards between Hamilton, Leclerc and Perez, where this, I think all of them swapped positions. All of them were P3 at one point. At one point in time. But there were so many uh, points at which I think Leclerc was pushed out by Perez and then Hamilton was pushed out uh, off track by Perez. Those laps were, uh, those incidents were again noted, but nothing came of it. And so much so that Alonso was actually pretty confident that Perez was getting a penalty. Yeah. Um, because uh, he said on the radio, okay, that's P4. Yeah. Um, but um, that didn't happen. Yeah. And even, uh, I think Alonso also complained of uh, Charles Leclerc uh, weaving on the stage to keep him behind. Uh, because to keep Hamilton behind. Yeah, and so he thought that Leclerc himself would get a penalty, but that wasn't the case. Then towards the end of the race, we saw, you know, the fight between Verstappen and Schumacher. First of all, Schumacher fighting Verstappen itself was such a sight to see. But yeah, Verstappen, in my opinion, clearly pushed Schumacher out, right? And I don't even know if the stewards uh, noted that incident, you know, forget uh, investigating it. But yeah, nothing came of that. And in the past, we've very clearly, uh, in this season itself, right, the, the stewards have been very clear on what the track limits are. And the minute you're not leaving enough space for another car or you're pushing another car out, they have decisively come out and penalized those drivers. But I don't know where the decision-making went uh, in, in this race. And that was so like questionable. And Mick actually also did say that I thought that would be... Um looked at because yeah. he did push me off a couple of yeah. times but um yeah there was no um there were no investigations not not really yeah. 
But speaking of Mick, uh, you know, finishing in the points for once. Uh, his first points his in F1. First points in F1. The eight, so yeah. four of them. Yeah. Let's, you know, lots happening with the midfield this race. You know, mixed fortunes for so many people. McLaren, Alpine, Aston Martin, all of them had like at least a car in the points, you know, while Alfa Tauri and Alfa Romeo had like a weekend to completely forget. So who really stood out for you this week, you know, in the midfield? Oh, um, I think I would have to say Haas's uh, double points uh, finish. It's been um, teased and promised for many races now. And we've, we've seen like them do like a fabulous qualifying, get both cars into Q3. Mm-hmm. And it sort of just um, go away. But um, it was really nice to see um, them, uh, both drivers, get points. Yeah. And not, um, not um, yeah. Mess up the race, you know, like yeah. they have in the past or like have like reliability issues or anything I, of that I sort. think it was really uh, unfortunate that Alex Albon had a updated uh, Williams, got out in Q1. So we didn't really get to see the full pace of that car. Yeah. And um, yeah, first lap incident out. So um, could not, um, couldn't really see what Williams has done with that update and if it's working. Yeah. But on the other hand, Nicholas Latifi made it to Q3. Yeah. Who would have thought? <laughs> Um, he, he didn't end up uh, scoring points, finishing um, P12, but um, it was good to see him in Q3. Yeah, it was good to see him like fighting. And, and I think one of the biggest losers we'd have to talk about, like we have to talk about Daniel Ricciardo and McLaren, right? Where McLaren on the one hand had Lando Norris who was, who was the end of the race in the mix, right? Fighting with those you know, for the top five, top four, five yeah. spots. And like, would have finished five if not for their botch pit stop. Probably would have finished five if not for their botch pit stop. Daniel Ricciardo struggled all weekend long. I mean, he couldn't even get past the Williams of Latifi throughout the race. The unupgraded Williams. The unupgraded Williams. So, so he, huge question marks, let's put it that way, for Daniel Ricciardo and what's going on with and him. And especially in a race where you have only 14 drivers um, finishing, because yeah. six cars have uh, retired, Daniel finished 13th. Yeah. Uh, with, I think, Sunoda finishing last, if I'm not mistaken. And given the fact that he, I think, ran into his teammate at least once that we know of, that we witnessed, <laughs> that's not really much to say. And yeah, the miserable weekend for Alpha Tauri, you know, with Anyway, I think they went into this weekend uh, with Pierre Gasly saying post-race that they went into this weekend not expecting much. But given their uh, the second start that we had, both of them started on soft tires. Um, and yeah, they did They did have, they were running in the points at one point in time, I think till the Sunoda and Gasly incident. Yeah, but, I would have to say that at this point, I would say that it's Alpine and McLaren that have sort of consolidated their position as the top of the midfield. Yeah. And then the rest is still a bit murky yeah. uh, <laughs> as to who's where. But um, so I think Yuki Sonora is not getting your vote for driver of the day. It's safe <laughs> to say. Um, and uh, uh, with 20% of the vote, it was Sergio Perez. So I think that just tells you how polarizing this race was and how everyone's opinion was that it should be somebody yeah. else. Who um, was your uh, driver of the day? So I'm actually going to have to uh, split it for a couple of reasons. On the one hand, I think definitely Hamilton was my driver of the day because he 
did extract maximum out of that Mercedes, I'm sure, and you know finished P3. Those uh, moves between lap, uh, I think, 44 and 48, the clean racing that there was between all the the drivers, and I think it's it's just great to see Hamilton out there and fighting and you know coming out on top and having like a clean fight and so i think on the one hand he was my driver of the day on the other hand i do have to give it to leclerc as well because i think he drove a brilliant race in terms of let's not forget on the first lap he lost his first his front wing and played as well yeah but they did say it doesn't make much of a difference Sure. They did confirm that. It's no doubt about it. But I still think he drove a really strong race. Not to mention, I think his involvement in those lap 44 to lap 48 moves between Perez himself and Leclerc, uh, and mm-hmm. Hamilton were also brilliant to watch. So my drive of the day, like my vote splits two ways. Let's put it that way for the first time. Who was your uh, driver um, of the day? I was very impressed with Hamilton. Yeah. But um, given that um, it's Carlos Sainz's first win in F1 after 150 races. And um, yeah, uh, I would have to say that, yes, I know he made a mistake on lap 11. Yes, I know he was struggling to get tire temperature uh, into his um, tires. And he did not have the raw pace that Charles did. But he has something that Charles doesn't, which is a strategic mind. Yeah. Uh, and that won him the race. Yeah. So um, I would have to say it's it's Carlos. Great. And what, what's your like five life moment of this race? You know, that moment that like really gets your heart pumping or like heart stopping for that matter. Let's establish that um, I don't think um, um, I should lap 20, lap 15. To, okay, let's be honest, lap 11 to the last lap of this race, I have uh, watched with a pounding heart and my head in my hands and um, not moving or uncrossing any legs um, and hands in, in, with the tension. So uh, it's it's hard to sort of pick uh, one moment, but um, um, through lap 44 to lap 48, we saw something we've not seen in F1 for a very long time, which is five cars from five different teams um, fighting for essentially podium finishes. Yeah. Um, and uh, you had a Ferrari, you had a Red Bull, you had a Mercedes, you had an Alpine and a McLaren, yeah. which is your top five teams currently. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was just fabulous. Yeah, it was brilliant to watch. I mean, I think at one point in time, we had four drivers going into the same corner side by side. That was lap one that, at the restart. Oh, okay. Sorry. I thought that we were talking about party. Yeah, 44 to 48. That was at the restart. That, that was, was restart. both Red Bulls and both Ferraris at my the restart bad. on lap three. What was your uh, five lights moment? Uh, mine had to be lap 48. Again, part of the same battle. But this was specifically... Uh, the moves that Leclerc tried to make on Hamilton, uh, I think around Cop's Corner, uh, which in uh, Crofty's words, that's how you take Cop's Corner. Um, but yeah, it was such clean racing. You know, both drivers giving each other inch perfect amount of space. 
Yes, I know that Leclerc lost that position two corners later, <laughs> but I just thought that one, you know, uh, move that indicated to uh, Hamilton, the commentators, and perhaps the rest of the world that you can race at Cops Corner cleanly. Yeah, I thought that was just breathtaking. And Hamilton did come out and say that as well in the post-race uh, interview yeah. saying that uh, so different to what I experienced last year. Yeah, that was just breathtaking for me. So that was definitely my five lights more. Lovely. Yeah. Um, but in just a couple of days, um, F1's going to return to the Red Bull ring um, with the second sprint of the season. Uh, the first one um, at Imola, Ferrari's first home race, um, was pretty much a disaster for the team <laughs> because Carlos um, was out on lap one and Charles made a mistake and uh, lost a podium finish um, and ended up in P6. And uh, Red Bull has been very, very strong at the Red Bull ring in the past. They won both faces the Red Bull ring last year. Max won both. What are your predictions? <laughs> I'm going to be really boring and say we are probably going to see another Max victory. I think... Uh, uh, as much as this was probably not his weekend, I still feel like a lot of momentum is with the team, given how strong their car is. And it's a low downforce circuit, and they're traditionally very, very strong here, like you mentioned. So I don't see why that trend doesn't continue. So I definitely do think we're going to see a max victory. Uh, given that Mercedes is now at supposedly at par with uh, Ferrari in terms of the, at least their top speed. I think we're going to have a tough fight between Ferrari and Mercedes for the third podium finish. But uh, the third podium place, sorry. But I think we're going to see two Red Bulls in the podium. Okay. Yeah. What about you? What are your predictions for this race? I fully expect to see Max dominate. Yeah. Um, but I somehow get the feeling that your top three in the sprint will not be your top three uh, from qualifying and your top three from the race. So I think um, that whatever the top three is in qualifying will not be the top three in the sprint, will not be the top three in the race. How they move around, I don't know. But I I, I just get the feeling that sprint will actually shake some things up. I hope it does. (laughs) That's what it's... That's what it's designed for. So that's a bold call. And given... uh, how close the racing is this year. I really hope that happens just for us to see, you know, another spectacular race like that, like Silverstone uh, this weekend. And Mick has finally scored his uh, first points. points in F1. Yeah. So are you predicting anything for him at uh, the end? Uh, I'm going to say that he's going to have the momentum with him and he's going to score another point in the Red Bull ring. God help me. Thanks a lot for being uh, a part of this conversation, Sukriti. It was great having you as always. And uh, we, I'm sure we'll see you in the next one. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at 5 Lights underscore F1 for the latest from the world of Formula 1. Cheers. Have a great night.